Hello, I'm Stephen Ware and this is Stillness in the Storms, the podcast that helps you to find inner peace in the midst of life's chaos. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about my story of shame, and then I will share how you can identify whether shame is holding you back. And considering I did not see how it was holding me back for 30 years, it's not easy to see. It really did transform my whole life completely the moment I realized this. And it was really just a moment. You know, you need to hear this story if you're just, if you feel like there's a lot more you can do and you're just on the edge of it and you want to be there and you want to do more, but you're a bit fearful of doing it. This show is for you. But just before we start on today's show, I want to say thank you to a few of you this week. And it's so appreciative and thank you who bought me a coffee. Audra, Bianca, Someone Anonymous and Kelly and Lydia. You guys are awesome and thank you. It makes such a huge difference. And if you want to treat me to a coffee, just say thank you for the show. Just say, if I help you in any way, it makes a huge difference. I'm currently saving up to buy a new seat for my wheelchair. And this, that's where all this money's going to right now. I'm trying to buy a new seat. It's currently on eBay and I'm hoping they don't sell it. It's in Germany and they're, they've redone it. So that's what I'm currently trying to save up for right now. Anyway, I've made it really easy for you. Just head over to thankyoustephen.com and you can donate. You can buy me a coffee. Or you can download the five simple practices for inner peace and join my newsletter. Thankyoustephen.com. You are awesome. Right, today's show, I'm talking about shame. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the books by Brené Brown when she talks about shame. She done a brilliant TED um, talk a few years ago, oh, probably 10 years ago now. And I remember watching it, and I, I remember about eight or nine years ago watching it and thinking, well, that's other people. You know, I don't suffer from shame, but I never realized it really affected me and I could see it in other people. And I was happy. I was, you know, I got on with life. I enjoyed my life. Shame doesn't bother me, but boy, did it. It's it's so affected me in so many subtle ways. And I had no idea. I had no idea the decisions I was making was because of my shame. I thought I was just being nice and polite. I thought I was being kind to people and all that, and it wasn't. I was really deep, like neck deep in my shame. So just a very little bit of background to anybody that's new to my podcast. I'm paralyzed from just below the neck. I broke my neck when I was 18 years old. I was in 1991, so over 30 years ago now. September the 1st, it was 10.30 in the evening and I dived into a swimming pool and I broke my neck, C5, the fifth bone down and instantly paralysed. I cannot move my hands, fingers, I cannot feel anything from my nipples down and I use an electric wheelchair permanently and yeah, I've been like it, you know, 30 years. And I'm, I'm anybody that knows me, I'm happy I get on with life. I'm very positive and things like that. I just find there's as much effort in being negative as there is in positive, but it, it's not that easy. You know, if you listen to my podcast regularly, you'll know that even being positive, there's, it takes work. You know, it, it's not just a moment decision. 
but I, I digress for a moment. I want to I want to stick on the story of shame. But I had to give you a bit of background, otherwise you may not understand the reason behind it. So, my story of shame, really? Well, A, I didn't know I suffered from it, and this is really important. But very much, after I broke my neck, I spent 12 months in hospital. And the very first time I can remember coming out of hospital for a proper day and I went to Farnborough Air Day and at the time I was in a manual wheelchair it took me a few years to succumb to the fact that I might need an electric wheelchair to be more independent that was like giving into my disability I'm not that disabled I don't need an electric wheelchair boy the minute I got an electric wheelchair it's like <laughs> give me my freedom but you know I wasn't that disabled didn't need that so I was being pushed around in Farnborough Day. It was massively hot. They were running low on water. And it was the first time I was out and about. And being, going from an able-bodied person at the age of 18, I was now 19 because I spent a year in hospital, being pushed about, other people in wheelchairs waved to me and just like, like I don't know if, you, if you're in the UK, you've got the VW club. Oh, you, you have the VWs all around the world, but they tend to wave at each other as they drive past in the road. The VW, the Volkswagens, and it's like this niche community, niche community. Like you feel part of it. You wave at people even if you're not. You don't know them. And suddenly, I was these people in wheelchairs were like, "All right, all right." I was like, "Yeah, do I know you?" I found it a little bit strange and odd. I remember there was a little small queue, about five or six people, queuing up to sit in the cockpit of a Spitfire, I think it was. It was a fighter plane anyway. And you had the steps going up and the steps going down the other way. And a couple of the guys came over to me and said, do you want to sit in the cockpit? No, 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 not at all. I said, no, sure, it, it won't be a problem. We've got enough guys we can lift you in. I was like, no, 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 it's okay. And of course, I wanted to. I was dying to sit How cool would that be? I still want to do it. You know, if anybody's got a, a fighter plane out there, especially one that flies in the air, you know, if you want to put me in the back of it, I'd love to do that. How awesome would that be? But I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to put them out. I didn't want to be a burden. Now then, that seemed normal to me. That was okay. I just didn't want to be a burden on people. I didn't want them to have to put themselves out for me. And I didn't know quite why I felt like that. It took me 30 years to realise why I felt like that. I could guess. I would always say, well, I just don't want to be a pain. I don't want to be a burden on people. You know, they're busy and all that. I used to justify it in so many ways. But what was the reason behind it? What was the deeper reason behind it? It was my shame, but I couldn't see it. And I would be in a shop or something like that, and I'd be looking at stuff on the shelf. I think, I think it is, I'm looking at magazines. and all. I, I always remember, I'm going to tell you this story, actually. I remember being in a shop called Tremlett's in the UK. And I don't know if they're countrywide or just local to Truro, but a shop called Tremlett's. And in the UK, the adult magazines were always on the top shelf. And I can remember being in the... I was looking at all the magazines. I was looking around and 
this lady, she's probably 10, 15 years older than me. There she was, she was quite a bit older than me, actually. I was in my early 20s, and she must have been 40, 50. And she said, do, do, you, do, do you want to have a look at the magazines or anything? Do you want me to help you look through them? And I was like, no, 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 no. She goes, no, no, honestly, honestly, I don't mind. I was like, no, honestly, I'm okay. She said, look, I can reach any of them from the top shelf or anything, and I don't mind showing you the pictures or anything. I just wanted to die. But, but I, I, just, I don't know why I shared that story. It's got nothing to do with my shame or anything like that. But I, I just wanted to die. But I, I get that a lot. So when I'm in supermarkets or when I'm in town or when I'm over places, if I stop to have a look around, someone will go, do you want a hand? And my go-to answer was always, no, I'm okay, thank you. Even if I want a hand, even if I'm desperate to have a look at something, to to smell the candle, or I'm just trying to think of something else that I might pick up to smell, but if I wanted to look at something more detail, I may have wanted to see the ingredients on something in food, I would just look up and go, no, I'm okay, thank you. And I would disappear quickly. And that was my go-to answer for anybody offering help. And it was very much right throughout life. So I'm, I'm going to skip now like 30 years. And it was after I hit my rock bottom and after I started like doing some work on myself and through meditation and through other things and through meditation and all that. And I don't mean deep work to be happy and positive and like be enlightened and all that my meditation work was just sit down and shut up and observe you know if you want to paint an amazing picture of the scenery outside really slow down and have a look at the scenery look at the different color leaves and how the light shines on the leaves and how they're different textures and all so in order to do something well you have to sit and observe so that's what I did. My meditation practice was sit and observe. So I would observe the way I thought, the way I feel, the, the way I'm seeing the situation. And I'd be entertained by it sometimes, annoyed by it sometimes. And in general, I, ju I would just sit down and shut up and, and watch it. And over the course of a couple of years, I learned that when I was annoyed about things, they were onto something. So... If somebody annoyed me, then there was something there that I had to deal with. There was some shadow. There was something from my past or some thoughts I had, some jealousy or, I don't know, some shame or something. There was something there that... And Jumpo, one of my teachers, has sadly passed away now. He, his phrase was, your angst is your liberation. So if there's some angst there, go there. Find out what it is. Don't dismiss it. So if it annoys you, it's something to go and have a look. I, I remember sitting down in the dining room, my ex-girlfriend came over, and this was about two years after we finished, probably three years. So I was able to sit in the dining room. I was able to not feel anything. She was a friend by that time. And I was able to sit there, and she said, do you know what the problem with you is? You have like this chip on your shoulder. I was like, ooh, it's like, right, <laughs> like a red rag to a ball. It's like, really? But I didn't say anything. I sat there and I felt 
my anger boiling. I was like, ooh. Then years ago, I'd have been, how ridiculous, don't be that stupid. How dare you say that? How can you? But I knew that she said something that triggered something in me. So there was something there. You got a chip on your shoulder. And I said, explain what you mean by that. Because that's really bothered me, you saying that. So explain what you mean. She said, the problem is, over the course of the conversation, I realised it was some kind of shame. And I remember saying to her that I would work on it. Not any reason for her or anything like that. So I would look at it. I'll, I'll try to see what that is. And over the course of a few weeks, I was looking at the decisions I was making. And these decisions I was making was very much um, like when someone offered to help me, I would refuse. I'd go, oh, I wonder if that's to do with it. And then at the time, I was having a conversation with one of my fellow counsellors, um, Councillor Stokes, and we were trying to work out a way in which I could fund a new wheelchair. My wheelchair was dying. It was on its last legs. The steering was broke. The batteries were gone. It was 15 years old. And we were working out all these ways that I could do a tour around Cornwall. I could get sponsors from companies. I could do all these things. And then she suddenly said to me one day, why don't you just ask? Why don't you just put up a GoFundMe page and ask? It's like, I can't do that. I've got to give something back. Why would they give it to me? And in that conversation, I've realised, oh my God, this wish shame. I cannot ask people, why? And of course, the why is the angst, the, the liberation. You find out the why, and you'll know where you've got to go. You know where the work is. Why can I not just ask? And I said, because I'm not deserving of it. So what do you mean you're not deserving of it? You do loads of things for people. You help people all the time. Why are you not deserving of it? And over the course of a couple of three weeks, I thought, why am I, why don't I think I'm deserving of it? And it led me to one realization that when people say I'm an inspiration, and I still get this now, people say, oh, you're such an inspiration. I used to hate it. So why am I an inspiration? I get out of bed the same as anybody else. I go on my life, I'm positive and happy. Just because I'm paralyzed, it doesn't mean to say you can't get on with your life. I realised that I had a deep shame about my disability and I was embarrassed about my disability. And i tell you why. Because I was the dumbass that broke my neck. I was the dumbass that dived into that pool and did it. I was the bloody idiot. So everything that stemmed from me being paralysed, I felt I wasn't deserving of it. To the point of, I had a deep shame about my disability and I didn't even think I did. I deserve to be in disabled groups that advocate and help disabled people. How crazy is that? They're not me. They're people that are doing amazing things. But I, I don't belong to that group because they're born with it or they had an accident or they've done all these things. They're genuinely disabled and I'm not. I'm an idiot. And I had a huge shame about my disability. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I was an idiot for diving into the pool. But it was a mistake. It was a one-off. 
Yet that mis that one mistake held me in such a deep, invisible, subconscious shame for 30 years. And it stopped me asking for help. It stopped me growing. It stopped my confidence. It stopped me advocating and helping other disabled people. I was trying to live an able-bodied person's life while having my bum wiped, while having to... It, you know, and some days if I get through the day without bloody soiling my pants, it's a damn good day. <laughs> you know, I'm the mayor of Truro at the moment, and it's the most awesome experience I've ever had. So I go to meetings, I do all these amazing, crazy things, and yet getting through a day just not soiling myself is like a bloody success. And I didn't realize how severely disabled I was because I was denying my disability because I was embarrassed about it. How crazy. How crazy is that? And that shame just ate me away. And it had me away because I wasn't living my full potential because I was holding myself back, because I feared people would see that I'm not really disabled, yet here I am paralyzed. <laughs> How crazy. It's just mental how something can have such a massive impact on your life, yet you cannot see it. Boy, that was the, the realisation of that. And then subsequently, I, I said to um, Kylie in Council Stokes, I said, OK, let's do it. I set up a GoFundMe and I said, I need £10,000 for a new electric wheelchair. A £1,000 came in. I was like, what? £1,200, £1,400, £1,600. I feel like sitting there crying now, thinking, how? And and just telling the story. Boy, I, I got tears in my eyes now. Just telling you the story is like, what a freedom. Wow. And I realised when I spoke to people, I said, well, why, are you, why are you doing this? I wanted to give them the money back. I wanted the phone number to say, look, that's great, but, you know, you can have this money back. Didn't feel deserving of it. And, and of course, they wanted to give the money. The, the, in the art of giving was enough for them. They didn't, they just wanted to give me my freedom. They wanted to give me my chair, and it was a gift from them. They didn't want the money back. They would have been offended if I had given the money back. So... Over the course of like three weeks, I had £10,000 come in. And I bought a new wheelchair. And in the first two years, I'd done 1,800 miles in this wheelchair. It was mental. I love my wheelchair. I'm back in it again today because we've done some work on it recently. We've done some repairs on it. And the freedom that I gave me. But the chair wasn't the freedom. The, the chair was the physical freedom. But the freedom of... Realising that shame and suddenly going, do you know what? I am deserving of it. I'm deserving of it because I'm getting on with my life. So the accident, and this is why I know now, if you want to give me a, call me an inspiration, go ahead. In part, I still want to run, but in part, I love it. I love it because it's not what you do in life, it's what you do with it. You know, I was a dumbass. I paralysed myself. I dived into the pool. But what did I do with it? And I often say if someone was to give me the best piece of advice when I was lying in bed with metal braces attached to the top of my head with 15 pounds of weight hanging off the top, 
with a tracheotomy in my throat that I couldn't speak, losing several pounds per week and to the point where I was six foot and you could see every rib. I was down to about seven and a half stone in the hospital. If someone could give me the best bit of advice then, would have been, do you know what, Stephen? Great, you're paralysed. But what are you going to do with it? Great, you're paralysed. What are you going to do with it? And that is the key. You have this life. What are you going to do with it? You have this gift. Now, this gift could be, you, you, you know, the gift was my accident. The gift was what happened to me. The gift was that I was a dumbass that dived into the pool. You know, I believe there's a gift in everything. You've just got to sometimes dig a little deeper to find it. You know, I'm paralyzed. Whether I use it as a gift or not, I'm still paralyzed. You know, it's it's like saying, you, you know, I'd I'd love to be um, an an animal, a rabbit or something, and live in the some lovely meadow. Well, you can you can want that all your life, all your life. You're still going to be human <laughs> at the end of the day. You know, all our angst comes from when we want something to be different than what it is. And there's my shame. And since then, I've been able to talk to more people. I wouldn't be sitting here as mayor of Truro if I didn't have that realisation of how the shame was holding me back. And does it still hold me back? Does it still keep me humble? Oh, boy, yes. And I'm glad of that. When someone comes up and offers me help, my initial reaction of that habitable so long in my life and I still think now that seven-year-old self doesn't, isn't deserving of something. I don't know why. I'm still working on that one. Um, you know, have balance with the work as well. Don't work too hard. You know, have balance. Because you can dig all you like and you'll always find something. N the wisdom is knowing when to stop digging and when to get on with life from the depth you are or the height you are, whichever way. But going back to my shame and my liberation from it, just that realization just brought it in, in from my shadow to the visible self. I, I shone the light on why I say no. And now when someone offers me, my initial reaction is no. But then I go, I pause. Going to the point now, I can say, look, if you want to offer me a coffee, if you want to donate a coffee to me, it's alien to me to say to you, do donate something. If I help you, go to thankyoustephen.com. That feels odd to me. So when one of you do it, like Audrey and Bianca that have done this week, when one of you do that, I find that strange. But on the flip side, I'm starting to get used to it. And I'm starting to think, well, if I help, why not? So yeah, that's my story of shame and my my the the way I found freedom from it. But I had to go there. I had to go where it was uncomfortable. How do you identify yours? I don't know. I don't know. See see what annoys you. You know, the difference is made in my life and it's it's a healthy confidence. I'm I'm still not that confident now. I I still say to everyone, "Is that okay?" But that's all right. That's fine. 
I can always remember Oprah Winfrey telling a story about Obama. Obama, you know, probably one of the best speakers on earth. He was on Oprah Winfrey after he was president, after he'd become effectively leader of the free world. You cannot get no higher promotion than that. And he, looked, he leaned into Oprah at the end, Oprah said. He said, did I do right? Was that okay? And I don't mind that humbleness, you know. I'm always second-guessing, am I doing okay? Was that speech okay? Was that all right? That's fine. You know, don't have... There's a fine balance in confidence. You know, I don't release the podcast as often as I should because I don't feel like I've got something to share that's worthy. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Even though I get these emails, I get these things about how much I help people, I still want to step back. And I think that Marianne Williamson quote is absolutely brilliant, where it says, it's not the darkness that we're frightened of, it's our, it's our light that we're frightened of. You know, what if the world shines a torch on us and says, show up? Oh boy, that's frightening. Isn't it? Isn't that frightening? That's why we're more frightened of going on stage, talking in front of 10, 15,000 people than we are of death. I think 80% answered the question, and of course this isn't actually true because they probably aren't faced with death imminently. But 80% of people said they would rather die than go on stage talking in front of people. I'm sure they wouldn't, given the, given the two options. But that's how frightening it is when the world's spotlight is on you. Terrifying. But I promised at the beginning of this, uh, of this podcast that I would share with you a few ways in which you can see your shame and if shame is affecting you. You know, self-doubt. Uh, and that's me, you, you know, if you frequently doubt your abilities, you question your decisions or feel unworthy, then maybe it's shame. Maybe it's shame playing the role. If you're a perfectionist, and you think everything has to be perfect. I would say that's shame holding you back. You're frightened of the world seeing you expose your flaws. We're all deeply flawed, trust me. And what's really interesting is we we done a little march through town. I was in my robes on Monday morning. And I was talking to the clergy there. I was talking to um, the canon and other people. And it's really funny because I said, one thing I've learned since I've been mayor is everything looks really polished, but everything's going wrong on the inside, but no one knows. No, everybody's winging it. Really, believe me, everybody's winging it. When you see that perfect speech, you don't know how many words they got wrong. You know? <laughs> Another way is avoidance. Are you avoiding situations? You know? Um, do you have negative self-talk? Oh boy, I do, I do sometimes. I don't suffer that so much as I do, but I do have a lot of conversations in my head. Years ago, as growing up, we always said that would be, you think you've got a mental illness if you've got conversations in your head. If I don't have a conversation in my head, I think, I think something's wrong nowadays. If you, if you like isolation, you know, if you tend to withdraw from social situations, Avoid making new friends or struggle to connect with others on a deep level. Shame may be contributing to your feelings of isolation. 
you know, if you recognize these signs in yourself, it may be helpful to explore your feelings of shame and how they're impacting your life. Seeking support from a trusted friend, just say to them, you know, how does shame affect you? And I highly recommend Brennan Brown's books, Power of Vulnerability. Um, I, I do them on Audible because they're easier. Shove them in my ears and press play. Sorry to say it, Brenny, but I do fall asleep a lot to Audible books and I have to re-listen to them. But that's okay. Sleep's good. Like the Dalai Lama said, the best meditation is sometimes sleep. <laughs> now, thank you guys for listening to my podcast. My podcast going from strength to strength. If you can leave reviews, that would be amazing. If you can support in some way, like I said, I'm trying to save up for a new seat at the moment to go on that new awesome wheelchair that I bought a couple of years ago. Um, I did buy a seat at the time, but it's not comfortable. It's given me pressure, so so I've I've got to go back to the original seat I had, but the new version of it. Um, anyway, I'm complicating things. If you can help, it'd be awesome. Thank you, Stephen.com. But you can download the five simple practices for inner peace. You are awesome. Have a look at your shame. If it's bothering you, there's something there to work on. Take care, guys. I love you.